Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski here with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. Okay, we got a lot to do today. New year, new decade, and lots of film-related stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, a DVD release. I think I'd like to do this more often on the show. I think, you know, some of us are geeks when it comes to collecting stuff and especially movies. And you've got two film geeks right here. So we're going to talk about an exciting release uh, that happened a couple of days ago. But, you know, it's early days, so you can still get it. And first, we're going to talk about the Toronto Human Rights Watch F- Film Festival. It's happening Tonight, it starts tonight, we're, it's Thursday, and uh, we're recording on, on a Thursday, June 30th, and it runs until February the 4th, and everything's happening at the Hot Dogs Ted Rogers Cinema. So, uh, Courtney and I have been watching some films. Actually, we didn't, uh, we didn't discuss the order of things. Why don't we talk about the one that we both saw in common first? That sounds good. Okay. So, both of us saw a film called Gay Chorus Deep South. It's, uh, as you might guess, it's about uh, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And uh, a lot of them actually are from places in the South. Anyway, the chorus, as led by, I have to get this gentleman's name, because he is a... Uh, Tim Selig, I think Yes, Tim. Yep. Okay, so Tim, Tim leads the chorus, and uh, he and the guys decide they're going to go on a tour of the Deep South. And they're going to go especially to places, they're going to focus on places that have the worst uh, human rights records when it comes to laws against the whole LGBTQ plus community. Um, So, and, you know, it brings up a lot of stuff. uh, But a lot of uh, people really want to go because, you know, like I said, they, they escaped conditions or escaped families that were completely rejecting them in the South. And, uh, you know, they now they live in, in San Francisco. So in a sense, you know, the choir is not, uh, they're going out of their safe zone. And in, in, in a way, they're like, metaphorically, they're not preaching to the choir anymore. They're actually going, you know, and, uh, and it's kind of risky. So the film mostly focuses on the tour. Uh, it has some, you know, it shows you some stories of people reconnecting with family members throughout the tour. Uh, you, you get to hear from various people in the chorus, but mostly it's about the director of the chorus, Tim, and his t- sad story. It's a really tragic story, actually, of being completely rejected. And, you know, some of these people, especially Tim, you know, were, were actively involved in the church, and it really hurt to have that kind of rejection from all all sides. So, you know, it, it uh, it's engaging in a, in a particular way, especially if you love music, uh, whether you like choral music or not. There's a certain kind of... Th- choruses these days they just know how choirs these days they really know how to draw everybody in you know you Mm -hmm. can't help um but get engaged with what they're doing um i just felt like the premise of you know going to the south as uh you know lgbtq community to confront you know some realities down there could have maybe engendered more um even more um, heartbreaking 
and I, you know, I'm not saying like it's not heartbreaking enough. I'm just saying that it could have dug a little deeper. And I, and I think the reason that it was restricted in that was that it spent so much time with Tim and really only gave a sort of a surface view of other members of the course and their stories, you know? Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I, it's, it's interesting because in many ways this film, even though it's dealing with a serious topic, is very much a crowd pleaser and aims to, to be that. Like it lets the music really thrive yeah. and the performances are great and, you know, you're just hearing these men sing the various um, songs and they specifically choose religious songs to sing on their tour because they know going into the South, even with all its restrictive laws, um, as one person said, you can't change, make change in the South without going through the church. So that's the way you identify with the people. And because of that aspect and how the film is presented, because you're focusing so much on the choirs to prepare on the tour, meet, it does it does have a, like a kind of uplifting feel good aspect, but I, I agree with you that the film needed to to dive deeper because you have a group from San Francisco, essentially outsiders coming in to protest and tell the people of the South, you need to change your ways. You need to be more inclusive, but it doesn't really spend too much time showing you both sides of the argument in in a way that you see one or two people protesting one or two people that you could say have bigoted views mm-hmm. for for lack of a better word. But then they also spend a lot of time showing you that there's a lot of good people in the South. People that invite you over for dinner or you come on the radio show and they don't confront you. And it's like, okay, but you're not giving me enough of either side. You know, exactly. They, yeah. You, you, like when, when you're having, when there's that dinner scene, mm-hmm. I, I can particularly remember and it's so polite. Yes. You know, it's just so, so, so polite. You really wish that somehow they could steal that couple away and get them so comfortable with the camera that maybe they but but they don't even talk to them individually. You only you only see the dinner. Yeah. And I I'm fine with them being polite. Like I, I like I hate this word, but I like the civility of it. Um, I, I think that word has been co-opted in horrible ways <laughs> in modern discussion. But I, I don't mind that. I'm, give me more people like them or the radio show host. That's fine. Like, you know, I, I agree. We look at the South as one big monolith, and they're not. It's true. It's yeah. individual. But I also need more of the other side as well. Like, talk to some of the lawmakers who are pushing these laws like that's I a good point yeah. it's interesting they had one scene where they were outside i think one of the churches and they talked to i think two maybe three people um who were people of color that they were protesting the the choir they didn't want the choir there and they didn't see the correlation between lgbtq plus rights being um squandered and pushed mm-hmm. aside to the civil rights movement right like yeah, there's, yeah. there's correlations in terms of People want to be treated like human beings. They want equal rights so that they can live, exist, you know, and they couldn't see the correlation between that. Like, dig deeper into that. Exactly. You know, those are some, you know, I don't necessarily need to see out and out hatred. I just need to see deeper discussions of both sides. But I felt kind of like the the chorus, an outsider by the end of it. I enjoyed the film. 
Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, it's, you you'll have a good time watching. It's uplifting. It, yes, it gets the absolutely. message across, but in as you said, it's kind of singing to the choir. So if you already feel that yeah, there should be better equal rights, especially in the South, you know, your your views already. I don't think the film will necessarily change your views. Those who are against it might walk away thinking, well, hey, you know what, the music's great. These are real people, but they still don't. I didn't feel like they evoked a lot of change because I couldn't get a good sense of the policies. Like, who are the ones that are making right. the laws? And are these are the people that they're trying to reach out to to get to come to the show to see them? Right. So, But also, um, you just reminded me that there were a, a number of people that they spoke to very briefly mm-hmm. in the various communities that they went to. And they were members of the LGBTQ plus yes. communities, uh, usually very young people. And... Even they brought up a discussion that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm, that did. I wish the film had gotten more into, yeah. which was the fact that they they said that it was like the 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 choir from San Francisco had this assumption about the South and what you you know mm-hmm. what you just said that the South is this monolithic like it has only one side to it, one viewpoint, and that they actually felt like the the choir was coming with this assumption. And not really allowing for the fact that each individual that was being interviewed, that was talking, like, you know, they were saying, well, I have my story. I have my experiences. You know, we have our community. We have, you know, certain experiences that they're not really taking into account mm-hmm. by, you know, coming with this assumption down to the south. Yeah, and, and those people I actually found really interesting because, you know, you do get a little bit of an insider view, but they raised – uh, an interesting point that I think the choir is also trying to get to, and I know um, the choir director talks about, but the role of acceptance in the church and the living in a community that is, quote-unquote, very religious, but in a performative way. Mm-hmm. You know, the choir director was fine when he was on stage looking like, you know, the happy married man mm-hmm. singing songs with his wife and what have you in in his previous in his life. previous life and, and but they didn't want to see him um arguing with his wife or the conflicts that come with marriage there's one girl that they speak to who's living in the south in the lgbtq plus community and she was talking about how you know they sent her to like conversion christian school and you know i think it was her grandmother said that your life will be so much happier if you just you know, if you live to please other people, yeah. like, you know, if you don't try and be yourself, try and be what they, what everyone else wants you to be and your life will be so much easier and happier. And that's, you know, very profound. And I think dig deeper into that. Yeah, exactly. You know, see how like these laws are pushing this type of group think, but the film never quite delves no. as deep. So it's, it's entertaining. It's worth seeing. It the, is. The yeah. music is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The music it is, is fantastic. It, it really surprised. I'm not like a big choir, you know. I'm music. not either, but I was, you know, tapping my head and kind of yeah. humming along. Like the... I was completely engrossed, really. Mm-hmm. And but I just had these like you know points in my head yeah. where and but you know just to, just to end off uh, and get back to that point about the the members of the LGBTQ plus community in the South was that uh, I do appreciate the fact that that was brought up. Although, you know, I, I wish it would have been dealt with more because it made me realize my assumption. Mm-hmm. My assumption of the South is white people are scary. White Catholic, you know, sorry, Christian 
like I have this. That's that's my assumption of this. As, and as a white woman, you're saying this too, which is fascinating. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm. I, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that's bad. <laughs> like it's just no, but that I realized yeah. that I was like, like it's the white people that would the white Christians that would scare mm-hmm. me if I went to the south. If I had any sort of trouble where I needed help, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I would really try not to go to a white person. I don't know why. And yeah, but that's but again, that's the assumption that the the film is really trying to break through, but it doesn't quite go go far enough. Yeah, I, I just brought that up because you know that's a personal thing of uh, my weirdness. No, I but guess. I think a but lot of people lot have of that people, assumption of the South just because yeah. the, the history. And in, in know, terms and of the Bible Belt, like Bible especially belt, when yeah. you think of just the Bible Belt and the the restrictive kind of the whole thing view. with like. Um, Confederate flag, the the yeah. monuments. Like, there's a lot of discussions that we're we're only now having in 2019, 2020. That you're thinking oh, it's taken this long to even get to this point to have those discussions. So there are some stereotypes that still permeate. Again, South's not a monolith, but there's also a, a huge history that still needs to be reckoned with in yeah. the South. And if anything, this film will get you thinking about those issues. Absolutely. So yes. So. That film is called Gay Chorus Deep South. Highly entertaining and really, you know, it does it, it does get you in the in the feels. Is that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that the right expression? Makes you feel. So, uh, why don't you talk about a film that? Sure. I one I watched was called Born in Evan, and it's a documentary from uh, Miriam Zari, and she is a actress slash filmmaker who is living in Germany and you find out through the course of this film that she was born in Evan which is a political prison in Iran so both her parents were activists they were fighting against a monarchy that was um, squashing free speech and at one point they were both arrested and put in this prison Evan and her mother was pregnant at the time. So she was born there, and then I guess after maybe about a year or two, the mother's released, and she heads to Frankfurt and basically sets up a, a new life there. And she doesn't really talk about her past to Miriam. So now Miriam's older, and she really kind of wants to know about that aspect of her life and what her her mother and father, who are, are now divorced, the mother's remarried, what they went through uh, while in prison. So it's a, a lot. You're watching Mirab as she is going, just trying to retrace steps, trying to talk to different people, everyone from um, academics to just regular women who are now exiled in in Europe and you know, still have, like, the Iranian community there. And it's kind of juxtaposed with Miriam as an actress for a lot of German television shows and productions where she has to wear the quote-unquote traditional garb of what German producers think a migrant or an Iranian woman would look like. Which Does is complete- she wear that usually? Like No, no. But okay. it's just, it's it shows you early on, like, how inaccurate um, the I guess Western yeah. or in this way European view the, of, the of migrant is, yeah. and they don't even bother to do the research, right? Right? They're just like, ah, put this on because this is what all you look like, and it's 
again, her trying to connect and and break that wall of silence. So it's a very interesting film. It's I don't want to say it's heartbreaking, but once once the stories start to unfold about what went on in that prison, you know, you do you are you are touched. Like those people endured a lot, but then in, in many ways, it's also uplifting because her mother went on to get her doctorate, and she's actually running for mayor of Frankfurt at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see what a lot of the survivors what what what, what they achieve, but also their children. You know, so it's like, yes, there was this dark moment in history, but they're still, the next generation is still stronger. You know, they've, they're achieving things. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't all in vain, but it's just that connection of the younger generation doesn't quite know what the older generation went through. And if you don't know what the people who came before you went through, part of you, there's a void in it, but also it changes your perspective on life. Yeah. Like you kind of take things for granted. You don't realize the sacrifice that other people have done to, to get to that point. So it's a, it's a good film. I, I recommend it. Oh, that's great. And it, it talk about, um, perceptions, like mm-hmm. how the, that film must have changed, must change people's perceptions. You know, that, that it's not, it's not all like a stereotype again, like a block of, yeah, a block of thought towards a block of people that it's all the same, you know. Yeah, and especially own. with um, what's going on in the world today and the conflicts between you know North America and um, the Middle East right now, there's a lot of assumptions being thrown around, and people don't really know what's going on. They don't really understand what people have have been through and the different types of regimes and how that's impacted people. So it's it, it provides an interesting facet to an aspect that I, I didn't even know anything about. So yeah, it's uh, it's a good film. I I wish there was a little more style thrown in. I will say that because I know um, Zari tries to add flashes of creativity and moments of meditation and what have you, but I just wish that there was a little more flair to the overall production, especially being someone who's within the arts and actress. I was just expecting a little more visual flair, but it's still, it's still worth seeing. Good. Okay. So that's born in Evan. Yep. Okay. I want to talk about a film called I am not alone. Um, this film, we actually got a chance to see this in Toronto. Uh, it premiered at the 2019 Toronto international film festival. It was named first runner-up for the People's Choice Award for Documentary at that festival. And it's a profile of the Armenian politician Nikol Pashinyan and his role in the 2018 Armenian Revolution. And the revolution was against uh, then-Prime Minister Serge Sargsyan. And so what we see is um, this really fascinating account and footage, a lot of it taken on the ground, on people's phones, you know, a lot of social media. This this whole revolution was basically galvanized. I guess started with this man and his he, – he was a journalist, an activist, and a politician. But he just decided, you know, because Serge Sar- Sargsyan was so corrupt and he had already served two terms as pres- uh, prime minister, sorry, and was getting – no, yes, 
<laughs> it's because they have a president and a prime minister. Oh, okay. So he was going from a, already serving two terms to shifting. Uh, he wanted to be elected into then the other position mm-hmm. and give like just what Putin is doing right now. Right. Yeah. Putin is president and he wants to give all the power now to the prime minister's role so that when he can't be elected again, he shifts into the prime minister's role and gets all the power, right? And he can still mm-hmm. be this autocrat. So that's what was going on in Armenia. And so Pashinyan decides that he is going to protest this by going on a 14-day walk to the capital city. And this turned into this social media phenomenon. People joined him. People walked with him. This dog started following him. So the dog became part of the protest and basically was adopted. Um, And the whole thing from from that walk, it just escalated, you know, as more people followed Pashinyan and more people got involved. And it was slow. Like what I like about the documentary is that they're not – they're not creating this mythology around what happened. Mm-hmm. That at the first, people responded, but not as many as they hoped. So it was like a few hundred as opposed to thousands upon thousands on, on that first part of it, you know, the walk. But then what happens is then you start to see his strategy changing. And like I said, it's really weird to see this all happening through social media. Yeah. And that, And he just makes these like spur-of-the-moment decisions, and if someone has a camera on him, and it's not all handheld, like uh, camera and phones, but, you know, all of a sudden he decides to make this decision, and it's all nonviolent. So he makes this decision that everybody, we're going to stop traffic. And so they do that. They Mm -hmm. just sit in front of public buses and and things like that. And so this movement builds and builds and builds, and it, it takes only 40 days to change basically the 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 status quo oh wow in that country um and what's really really fascinating is that he does there is this main guy in charge of the policing that he you know has to face every day Pashinian who's on Sargsian's side mm-hmm. right but the two of them uh you start to see through the interviews with the policeman the head of the police that this this sort of um, respect for each other yeah. starts to develop, and this is so. It's because that there's this variety of people being um, interviewed, as well as Circean himself. Now he's very cautious in the interviews, right? But he's there in the film being interviewed. So the whole thing is just and it's it's so well paced and so well put together. And I think it's it's just it takes on that sort of drive of, you know, a political revolution going on. Uh it's amazing to see the nonviolent um the way that they use a nonviolent uh revolution mm-hmm. struggle, you know? And exactly how step by step they gained you know until you start seeing just how overflowing with people anytime he appears in public instead of those you know few dozens and few hundreds that were at the beginning you know yeah it's just this fabulous and i you know i told you a lot about the film but i it's doesn't capture the film oh yeah well moving something like that especially when you think of you know evoking change that quick 
It's great. And I think a lot of people, and we see it up here all the time, people complain whenever there's protests or any type of disruption, Mm -hmm. you know, people blocking traffic, disrupting school systems, what have you. But people forget that change doesn't happen (laughs) unless there's disruption. Exactly. If you protest and people are still allowed to go about their day like normal, then no one actually notices your protest. Exactly. So... Yeah, exactly. Oh, you should have seen the first time he sat down. He, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He just start, he just suddenly announced that he's going to sit down, and he sat down in front of this bus. And the driver, like, it's just this this amazing magical moment that ha- can only happen like in the moment yeah. between two real people. And the guy, the poor bus driver, I got to go home. You know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's just the film is just full of these magical moments, and it's it's really quite amazing. And uh, yeah, I can see why it, it won an audience award, but mm-hmm. also I think it's just a very well crafted film. Ooh. And so that's I am not alone. All right, now I'll talk about uh, one other one real quick. On the President's Orders is also playing, and yeah, this film's been making the rounds. I think I re- first saw it at Hot Docs, and it's a really great and disturbing film um it's it's short like it, it flies by and i i think i've compared it to like a scorsese type of film even though it's a documentary because it's a it's a documentary about um president Duterte. Uh, i think it was in the philippines his um war on drugs oh yes and he it starts off as you know they're going to clean up the streets, get rid of drugs. And then you start to realize that his his squad of law enforcement are taking things way too far um, to the point where they're killing people. Like, you know, you, you see drive-bys and stuff happening in this film. And, you know, they claim that in total there was, I think, 5,000 people officially killed uh, on this war on drugs, but the number is clearly a lot more than that. And you, you know, this film does a good job of like talking to the police officers and kind of following them as they go about their day, but also the civilians, especially the civilians in the slums. And, you know, some of them have people they talk to, you know, have are addicted to drugs or were addicted to drugs, but it's not like there's any policies that are in place to kind of help them. And also there's some people that you question, were they even, like, why are they on this list? You know, the police are compiling these lists of individuals who have either committed crimes or have alleged to commit crimes or alleged to be on drugs. And this yeah, list, even rumors, right? Yeah, this list keeps getting longer and longer, and you start to wonder, what's what's going on here? And, you know, you're seeing innocent people being harassed, and it's it's a really chilling look at you know an ideology gone mad you know they yes you want to clean up the, the streets you know you want to get people off drugs who are hooked and get rid of all the the drug lords but when you know your president is a ruthless man like Durte, then you start to question well who's who's really the villain in this piece and it's a it's a very powerful film but Again, the way how it's put together and edited, it, it really flies by. Like you really, it does feel like you're watching a bit of a thriller mm-hmm. um, in, in its short span of time. So, does it um, when you're watching this and this sort of approach to uh, getting rid of drugs 
and approach you know the drug problem does it make you wonder if get the tough being tough is actually the right approach because you know like portugal i think of portugal i I Mm -hmm. was just you made me think of portugal and the fact that they uh just decriminalize drugs yeah. So they're not going out there hunting people down. You know, like the, the Amer- Americans have the war on drugs and everybody's just like, go out there. And so Duarte just like took it and he t- he's taken it to the extreme, right? Yes, he's taken it to the extreme. And I don't know, me personally, I I think the legalization is a tricky, tricky thing to deal with. Um, you know, up here we have the legalization of marijuana and something like even like that created a big fur you know i don't think marijuana is necessarily as bad as like heroin or Mm -hmm. cocaine or what have you but again that's just my opinion Mm -hmm. um and you know it's a very tricky slope i don't think you need to you need to be firm on the war on drugs but often when politicians talk about the war on drugs it's usually the war on the poor. Yeah. Um, we, we've seen it in North America with the war on drugs. Even, let's use marijuana as an example, it's legal here in Canada, but there was a time when it wasn't. And when it wasn't legal, most of the people that were getting arrested for possession uh, were people of color. You know, black, brown, um, it's just how it was. Whereas I know I can tell you several university campuses where a lot of non-individuals of color were using marijuana freely at parties and stuff. And I never saw police officers come (laughs) barging down and just kind of go, hmm, this is kind of interesting. But it's just that. I used to know some, a lot of white dealers and they never got. Yeah. So it's, I think that's where you start to get that slippery slope. Um, You know, I, I look at the, the war on opioids and how that has become priority number one for a lot of um, communities and a lot of politicians. And then I say, well, who are the people that are getting hurt the most by opioids? And, like, who can afford the people get all these prescription drugs? And it's usually not people of color. Like, it's, you know, there's... Well, there's another issue that goes with that, which is that the... The, the, the pharmaceutical the, companies and... Well, also yeah. the doctors. I mean, there's the prejudice there that, you know, nobody wanted to give like legal painkillers to black people because of their racism. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, they've created a bunch of white junkies. Oh, it's also but it's also a misconception though. Like there's always been uh, and studies have have shown this that physicians often think that especially when it comes to I'll just use an example black people, they physicians um naturally assume that the pain either is exaggerated or they can just Tolerate, yeah, it, right? because of kind the racism. Of, yeah. yeah, so it's, that's what I mean. I mean, it's the, because of the racism, the black community spared the opioid crisis, but yeah, they get punished is, for other things. Which is such a weird. Like, I know it's a weird. It's, racism, a, it's a weird thing to know? be celebrated. Like, hey, you, you survived. You didn't. You're not getting the opioid well, I'm crisis not as bad. I'm no, no. But saying, I'm just saying, like, like in terms of, because I remember reading an article about that saying, like, you know, the community hasn't been impacted as much as others because of essentially no, this but, racism mean, yeah. view and you think so when it comes to like the war on drugs it's a very complicated issue but watching this film you realize the way that Durte is going about it and his quote unquote death squad and what that's 
they've taken it to an extreme that's also very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, power is corrupting on so many levels, and it's uh, it's a very fascinating film. And as I said, it it, it plays like a thriller. It really it's, it doesn't even feel that long because it just kind of you're so wrapped up in it and it zooms by. So definitely see it and have plenty to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so that was... uh, On the president's orders. On the president's orders. Okay. So that's the Human Rights Watch uh, Film Festival in Toronto. It it opened tonight, Thursday, and it's continuing on until February the 4th. So so go to uh, humanrightswatch.org or check uh, the hot docs. Yep. Cinemas uh, listings because it's playing. Everything's playing there. So, so let's just spend a, a couple of minutes geeking out. Sure, the, the new DVD that There's everyone a new should DVD have. DVD that everybody DVD should Blu-ray. have. I mean, if you haven't seen this film, seriously, just buy it and watch it at home because the film of the year uh, last year and probably still this year, Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated. It won at the Palme d'Or. I mean, guys, what else do you guys want? You have how many, every person, every film reviewer, I mean, how much percentage does it have on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I think it's in the 90s. Yeah, it's like, if it's not, like, like it's close to 100, mm-hmm. if not 100. Uh, every film person the film geek, film lover, film fan that I know, that you know, that everybody knows is completely enamored with this film. I've seen it twice. I can't wait to see it again. Um, yeah, even non-cinephiles. I've converted a few people. I've, t- I've told them to go see it and they've been blown away by it. I'm the, the last person I might convert because it's a foreign film is my dentist. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> he knows. He knows. I threatened him even though he's scary because he's a dentist. But I threatened him, and even he is uh, going to watch it. So, uh, yeah, so Parasite, if, if you guys you know, need reminding, Parasite is about two families, um, a wealthy family and a poor pa- family and how they interact. And there's this uh, very surprising twist. You think you know what, what Parasite refers to when I say that, but that's not it, guys. Uh, so there's this interesting twist which gives relevance to the title Parasite uh, that really propels the film into so many different directions. And Bong Joon-ho, you know, the master of cinema. I mean, the great thing about the DVD Blu-ray release is that it includes in a Q&A with Bong Joon-ho, the director, writer, producer. And, uh, you know, I think he's been around the festival circuit and, you know, uh, talking, so you've gotten little hints of how how deeply he loves cinema, but this really really brings it home. It, he, you know, he references Hitchcock, Hollywood, worldwide cinema. Apocalypse Now is you know an influence, you know mm-hmm. something that inspires him. All sorts of things. So in terms of your film loving, and once you start, once you watch Bong Joon Ho. And this Q&A, you're going to realize that you have a lot in common, except that he just knows how to make brilliant movies that take every every sort of inspiration from all over the cinematic universe. And he puts it all together yep. in this brilliant, seamless manner. And he's he's just, you know, a master. Yeah, it's one that you'll be watching over and over and dissecting different 
aspects of the film. And I'll say the one minor quibble I have. Oh, no. With the, with, no. Is I wanted even more features. <laughs> the, okay. the Q&A is great, but I wanted more Why? features. Okay. Why? But, oh, what, what, would you, because what would you wish for if you could? There is so much in that film to observe. Like The film is so great that I will concede that you can go without all the extra features because the film is just that good. Mm-hmm. You don't even, you know, leave certain things as mysteries. But the way how this film is shot, you know, yeah. I would love to get some, you know, even a little two-minute featurette on just some of the things. Like there's the way how this film captures the divide between the wealthy and the poor visually mm-hmm. is is something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain Mother Nature scene yes. that I would have loved to see how they pull that off you know just little details like that the acting is phenomenal every single person you know even like a little little something with each actor a little that's true little vignette where you know just just little little touches again you don't need it this film is you know this is still a blu-ray you must own yeah, not, not a maybe. You must own this one because the because, film was that great. Yeah, but also but you, I would just like a little, little extra. I'm, I'm being greedy because the film is so good. <laughs> I want, I want to live in this world as long as possible. Well, okay. Well, those are good wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with those. But I, I would be afraid that they might take away from the magic. Okay, I see that. But, you know, maybe on a later release, once everybody has absorbed the film and watched it like 10 or 20 times, because mm-hmm. seriously, the way everything's all put together, it, it is one you can watch over and over. And you'll see something new every single time, yep. which is why, you know, I really wanted to start talking about videos and having, you know, collecting them at home. Uh, I really wanted to start with this one because if you don't have this one, you know, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, this is it's a must add for, for every collection. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, that's it for Frame Line. Thanks for listening. <laughs>